telling you it was his voice I heard. He was calling to me. A young bosun named Eddie Cork. We served on the Goliath together. When the O2 tanks ruptured, four of us made it to the lifeboat, but Cork was still on board the Goliath when the fire broke out. You ever seen fire in zero gravity? It's beautiful. It's like liquid. It slides all over everything. It comes up in waves. And they just kept hitting him. Wave after wave. He was screaming for me to save him. What did you do? I did the only thing I could. I closed the lifeboat hatch and I left him behind. I swore I'd never lose another man. Walk into our town and promote hate, violence, suicide, death, drug use, and Columbine-like behavior. I can say... Linking violence in movies to higher levels of aggression and violent behavior. Recognizing that many children love violent movies. So motherfuckers are always trying to escape. Take a look around! Dodge this. Welcome back to Take a Look Around. My name is Shawnee Campion, and as always, I'm joined by my faithful co-host, Alistair B-Man Bates. How are you, Batesy? Sean, I am doing pretty damn well. And look... I'm 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 uh, excited to talk about the events that are horizoning for oh, Take a Look Around. Very nice. <laughs> <Hey>. uh, <laughs> but but no, I'm well, Sean. How are you? I am absolutely golden. If you're anything like me, you heard last week's episode and you were chomping at the bit to find out not only what the next episode would be, but as teased on last week's episode, we dropped a new shirt. And that shirt is Event Horizon, baby. You heard it here first. Get your mitts on a Event Horizon t-shirt. Holy shit. Drip God Batesy, what do you think? I love them. They're so fantastic. I just, I can't get over the, the inspired design by friend of the show, Sam the McKenzie. The DJ lethal of the show, Sam McKenzie. <laughs> Wrap your fucking body all over this. It feels great. It tastes great. But by God, does mm. it look great. That's three out of five senses, baby. That's it, yeah. The fellas at Gildam sure printed up some lovely long sleeve shirts that day. <laughs> now, these will go on sale today. If you're listening to this episode, the day it's released. Uh, last time we dropped shirts, they sold out pretty quick. Please hit it up to secure your spot. Now, the events are horizoning, Al. And horizoning they are. That's, that's right. Do you remember when you first got Event Horizoned? Ooh. You know what? I feel like it's such a ubiquitous thing in my mind. Like, I feel like I remember seeing it at the video store. Like, it definitely was a display at a video easy. Oh, yeah, for sure. That incredible I, um... design work. More on design work later, but oh, the, yeah. this film is inspired <laughs> with its with its look. Absolutely, and I was inspired by its look to watch it. I remember Dad loved it when it came out and was, like, explaining it to me in the way that, like, He's like, oh, man, I want to show you this movie, but you're a seven-year-old boy. Because <laughs> <laughs> dad was, like, pretty young when he had me. So, like, um, I think he still had that kind of, like, oh, awesome. I can show kids cool stuff that I still enjoy. Just running home from the um, theater, like, how old are you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But I don't think I saw it until it was on Channel 10. I remember recording it. This would have been like 2011, maybe, on VHS. And I had, I remember loving it, but being so scared that every five minutes I had to turn it off to take like a 10-minute breather. And yeah, I mean, yeah, dude, this movie has just left a mark on me since I was a kid. I remember as soon as it came out on DVD, I think it was one of the very first DVDs I saved up my own money to get. 
I'm loving this crazy coinky dink we got going on. This this cosmic black hole between your reality and my reality, because I saw sure. this movie on Channel Ten as well. Oh my god! <laughs> this was a perennial like after movie movie. You remember yeah, how like yeah, yeah, they yeah. play their bird on a wire or their Terminator totally. Two, and then at ten thirty they'd be like, "Oh, if you ain't tired yet, boyo, you're gonna <laughs> yeah. be tired soon yeah, yeah. because we got Event Horizon." <laughs> for you or conspiracy theories starring mel gibson yeah totally <laughs> yeah it's that perfect like this goes for an hour and a half uh with with ads it'll go for two hours which will take us up to the midnight bulletin uh which will yeah. take us up to dano's direct <laughs> it really is like the last bus like before going home <laughs> oh for sure Damn this man. is this is the Nightlink. This is the Nightlink totally. movie. Uh, I have a really fond memory of uh, my first ever mobile phone. That I, I had a Nokia sixty six ten that I shared with my twin brother that we just used for getting home from school and shit like that. But my first ever personal mobile phone was this incredible Nokia flip phone that looked like Robocop's helmet, and I was Sweet. absolutely in love with it. <laughs> And the first ever text message I got on it was from friend of the show, Roland Jenkins, texting me, hey, Event Horizon is on TV. (laughs) (laughs) So this movie holds a very special place in my heart. And if you are a listener to this show, if you've been here since day one, day two, or even you've just tuning in now, you've been waiting for the moment that we would do this movie like this is one of the golden high points of new metal cinema would you say al totally without further ado then let's uh let's play the trailer At 0300 this morning, TDRS picked up an automated navigation beacon broadcasting at two-minute intervals in Neptune orbit. Neptune orbit. This is incredible. It's the event horizon. She's come back. The event horizon was the culmination of a secret government project to create a spacecraft capable of faster-than-light flight. The ship doesn't really go faster than light. What it does is it creates a dimensional gateway that allows it to jump instantaneously from one point of the universe to another light years away. Where's she been for the last seven years, Doctor? That's what we're here to find out. After seven years in deep space. There were 18 people on board this ship when it disappeared. I want them all accounted for. Opening outer door. It came back abandoned. Any crew? Negative. This place is a tomb. But it didn't come back alone. Captain Miller! I've got some problems here! This ship has been beyond the boundaries of our universe. Who knows where it's been and what it's brought back with it. Did you hear that? The ship is reacting to us, and the reactions are getting stronger. What are you telling me? That this ship is alive? I have such wonderful things to show you. Oh, my God. It knows my secrets. (laughs) It knows my fears. Vacate. I want off this ship. I can't leave. She won't let you. God help us. Now, the film opens with Dr. Weir, played by Sam Neill. The thing I like most about this film is something that I wish more horror films had the balls to do, which is keep itself completely self-contained. The... There is at no point are we ever on Earth in this Mm. film. The film is entirely set in space. It's entirely set basically during the nighttime, Mm. which is, uh, as I'm sure you're no doubt aware as a listener, the scariest time. (laughs) Even, (laughs) Even talking about it's getting me scared. Yeah, that's kind of, I think it's also portrayal of space as just 
um, not so much terrifying or mystifying, but more their workplace is really kind of cool as well. I feel like Alien and maybe what's that Sean Connery movie, Outlander? Outland, yeah. Where like I feel like they're like just this great depiction of the future where it's not permanent so much night shift. Permanent night shift, exactly. There's like steam billowing out of things that steam shouldn't be coming out of, and people are covered in axle grease and the cool space stuff is just gray everything's just gray and horrible colors and what's awesome about this opening portion of the film is that so much of it is a tribute to alien but Mm. it gets that out of its system really quickly like it, it really wants to pay homage to alien and aliens and it does it in in a way that's fantastic but also it gets it out of the way quickly. By mm. the time we actually get to the event horizon, any like anything to do with alien or aliens is out the window and this becomes a wholly singular and original beast. But this this early sequence of the film is fantastic. That amazing shot where it zooms out from Dr. Weir brushing his teeth to reveal that he is like the lone member on a space station mm. that cost a third of the film's special effects budget to put that together. That's so wild. It, it's it's a pretty pretty fantastic establishing sequence because like even though it, it just even it just manages to you know you straight away know this dude's a widow because they make his whole room just full of photos of his dead wife i uh, know <laughs> um, and i did some calculations on this uh yep. which is that sam neil was age 50 during the making of this film And the film takes place in 2047, which means that if Sam Neill is age-appropriate casting, he is born in 1997, and he's basically just a depressed Zuma. Oh, sweet. (laughs) (laughs) They're going to call us Chugi for doing an episode on Event Horizon. (laughs) (laughs) They hate our skinny jeans and side parts, but we... Had Event Horizon. <laughs> what do they have? Uh, fucking shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like I, I, I struggled to come up with anything as well. Uh, probably uh, TikTok. <laughs> <laughs> I, I genuinely can't name. I, I mean, what? Like, what is a what is a Zuma movie? Like, what, do do they even like movies? Um, probably Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist or something that we'd find probably horrible but sex tape with uh jason siegel and cameron diaz yeah exactly like just these like your highness starring danny mcbride exactly. but you know like <laughs> do you remember talking about films from the 80s with your parents and they were just like what what the fuck do you mean that movie sucked <laughs> like everyone hated it when it came out or they're like, just like oh yeah i guess i remember that i, yeah. I, I really have to do my taxes <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but i feel like it, that's gonna be like the next wave for us is just finding out these things became cult favorites despite like us not engaging with them at all at the time they came out yeah no i totally know what you mean like suddenly like 10 years from now sam worthington will be a bankable star yeah exactly. yeah yeah there'll be like fan cams that are just like we pr- must protect sam worthington at all costs <laughs> anyway back to the movie yeah fine. so dr weir is a physicist who's been brought onto the lewis and clark which is a rescue vessel responding to uh, a beacon which has come from the other side of Neptune where it's revealed that this beacon was uh, revealed, of course, by the opening wall of text from the Event Horizon, an uh, experimental research vessel that disappeared without a trace, I want to say seven years prior to the events of this. I thought it was like 35 years, which is what threw me because... um... You're probably right, though. But I remember Sam Neill maybe gave a length of time, and I was like, really? I think you're right. Seven years seems about right. So the Lewis and Clark is your basically your 
your trademark alien ship, and it's led by friend of the show, Larry Fishburne, who looks yeah. fantastic here. This would be a year or two before The Matrix, and he is uh, not the Larry Fishburne of today. He is fucking a stunt commando in this. Like, he is just putting his body through hell, would you say? Totally. Um, yeah, I, I think kind of much like the ensemble of the like on the Nostromo the Lewis and Clark crew are just like these fantastic embodiment of uh you know tropes where uh, yeah absolutely you got baby bear Justin yeah. who's basically uh yeah we've got Jonathan Taylor Thomas at home <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> but uh Cooper who is basically the Chris Tucker um, do you remember like films of this rush hour era had to have like the wisecracking black guy, no matter how like serious or terrifying the film was or how out of place it seemed, they had to have this character during this act, this era. Oh, I know the character you're talking about. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> that, you mean the hey, high- hey now, <laughs> <laughs> the uh, highly, yeah. The classic problematic depiction of uh, an African American in a Hollywood film—I can't believe it. Actually, they do invert it in this movie, though, don't they? Where like it is anyway. inverted, but for the, <laughs> the majority of the film, this guy is nothing but comedic relief, and yeah. it's it's a bit grating at times. A Judge Al Binks, if you will. You, you said know. it, not me. <laughs> anyway, moving along, we get Pilot Smith, played by uh, Paul W S. Paul W. Anderson Muse, Sean Pertwee, who's a holdover from his earlier film Shopping. Uh, I'm a huge fan of Sean Pertwee. His role in Dog Soldiers is absolutely phenomenal. He's fantastic in that. And Al, uh, Mm. did you know he is the son of Doctor Who's John Pertwee? Yeah, I did. Uh, I always thought he, I always get this guy confused with Richard Roxburgh, the Australian actor. Uh, yeah, J- they look very similar. And Jason Isaac, I always get confused with. Um... Oh, just quickly on Sean Pertwee. So uh, he's really funny in this film because his whole wardrobe is just stick and poke tats, tidy whitey t shirts, and fisherman beanies. He looks yeah. like he serves drinks at the Grace <laughs> Darling. <laughs> like, he looks like he messes. He looks like he like comments hard eyes on all of your girlfriends. Instagram photos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I know the dude. Um, yeah, I mean, that's another cool thing about this film, though, is that there's such, like, sweet attention to, like, minor, minuscule details of characters, and it just feels authentic and lived in. Like, oh, absolutely. I um, I watched a, a special feature on the DVD with the set designer, and he talked about putting together the costumes and the set design and how he would let the actors go through the set and take parts of it that they wanted to add to their character's costume. And no better is it on display during these opening sequences as the crew of the Lewis and Clark introduced the Dr. Weir as we see the patch on Dr. Weir's jacket the 2047 Australian flag, which has replaced the Union Jack with the Aboriginal flag. It's pretty sick. <laughs> and like... it, it's so cool to watch. And the coolest part that I finally, after 10 years of having seen this film, I finally got, uh, oh, longer than that, maybe 15 years of having seen this film, I finally got confirmation that that was Sam Neill that asked that to be put together. That's pretty rocking. Yeah. yeah, he's a cool guy. I feel like we forgot to mention that Sam Neill plays an Australian in this movie. I feel like an we forgot Australian. to mention. Full, we just kind of <laughs> glossed over Sam Neill. He's phenomenal in this because uh, while he's got horror chops, he's in The Omen 3, he's in Possession, and he's in The Mouth of Madness, mm. which was released two years earlier to this. He Those were still very much underground cult classics at this point in time. Possession, while it's like considered one of the greatest horror films of all time, was... N- barely registered on people's radars back then. <laughs> yep. And, <laughs> anyway. Bit of a hard sell. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but 
to the average movie going public, he was the basically the dad Park. from Jurassic <laughs> Park. The guy that goes back for the kids. Mr. Good Time. Mr. Good Guy. And so to see him as this depressed Zoomer freak of nature <laughs> in this film, it's just inspired casting. It's I think. pretty crazy, but it's like, I think the movie he did straight after Jurassic Park as well. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> uh, rounding out the cast, we've got the phenomenal Jason Isaacs, really just a quintessential British character actor, would you say, Al? Yeah, I always confuse him with, uh, what's his? What's the guy from Dead Ringers? Jeremy, Jeremy Irons. Irons. Yeah, I always Jeremy con- Irons. <laughs> <laughs> I always uh, confuse Jeremy Irons with fucking what's this dude's name? Uh, Jason Isaacs. Exactly, Jason Isaacs. <laughs> He's Lucius Malfoy in the Harry Potter series, but I always get him mixed up with who's the bloke from the Conjuring movies? Patrick Wilson. Yeah, they look identical. Yeah, yeah. they look like. They look like Ken doll versions of men. Yeah, they all grew up in the same kind of uh, himbo batch tank. <laughs> More on himbo batch tanks to follow. Um, rounding out the cast, we've also got Kathleen Quinlan and uh, pa- as Parker. But uh, let, let's let's progress. So basically, Doctor Weir's been brought onto the Lewis and Clark. They they wake up from an alien style hypersleep to find that they've been brought to the other side of Neptune by a distress signal from the nascent event horizon, uh, which after being cleaned up by a bunch of filters, the amount of times that people say, I'll run it through a bunch of filters in this movie, it's just pure CSI nonsense. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, we get uh, a Latin phrase, which Jason Isaacs' character is very quick to remind us as he uh, is... I'm a doctor. (laughs) I'm a doctor. (laughs) I gotta know Latin. uh, Is the Latin phrase for save me. So, distress signal it is. Dr. Weir uh, describes to the crew, and this is so funny, like, he he has to describe what the event horizon actually was because all records of it being an exploratory vessel to the other side of the galaxy were falsified. This was an experimental spaceship designed to create a warp drive uh, to go faster than light. There's an amazing scene I want to drop here where the crew just absolutely hangs shit on Baby Bear. Well, fuck layman's terms. Do you speak English? Um, imagine for a minute that this piece of paper... Oh, excuse me. Uh, that's Vanessa, and that's mine. Uh, this attractive piece of paper represents space-time, and you want to get from point A here oh. to point B there. Now, what's the... Shortest distance between two points. A straight line. (laughs) Wrong. Shortest distance between two points is zero. And that's what the gateway does. It folds space so that point A and point B coexist in the same space and time. So what's the fastest way to travel between two points? A straight line. No. No space at all, dipshit. What a fucking dipshit, huh, Al? Fucking moron. It's a really well done explanation of how that warp drive works as well. Like, you just instantly understand the whole, like, oh, they've just completely shifted everything to make it a bend that you just go through. Yeah, like, it's a it's a very, like, keen way to just explain it to the audience. So much so that it was stolen note for note by another Space Madness film, Interstellar, uh, which Mm. uses almost an exact note for note description with the hole through the magazine page. Wow. This is so Nolan, much better than it. Fucking... <laughs> Nolan saw this movie and was just like, wow, this guy has a dead wife? I love this movie. <laughs> so I guess against their better judgment, they find the ship, despite uh, having trouble upon entry of Neptune's surface. Uh, it significantly damages the Lewis and Clark, forcing them to all get off their, their 
dinky re- little research vessel. Di- yeah, yeah, to board the... It really is dinky in comparison, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's like a fucking jet ski to an ocean liner. It, it's, yeah. So they all get stuck on the event horizon, which, surprise, how surprise. beautiful does the event horizon look in these, the- like... This is like one of the last films in Hollywood where you get miniature work. The visual effects mm. uh, coordinator for this did all of the miniature work for Blade Runner. And so oh, the wow. film, so the spaceship itself looks incredible. It looks like a, a cross between a medieval castle and mm. some kind of Warhammer 40K cathedral. Well, I was reading that they designed the event horizon by taking a 3d model of notre dame the cathedral in the church and just like pulling it apart and putting it back together again to make these weird spaceship like shapes and then oh that's so fucking cool (laughs) yeah (laughs) and then yeah i think they just use that as the frame to paint over it and stuff which makes sense because it looks like a fucking if you wanted to if you imagine what a goth spaceship would look like it (laughs) 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 so yeah as they Board the event horizon, they realize everything's a miss. Uh, no and crew. And a miss it is. When uh, entering the event horizon, they get some nascent life signs, but none of it's really registering any particular point. Uh, the spaceship itself is filled with globules of a weird black liquid uh, and corpses of the actual crew itself. Pretty cool. <laughs> Baby Bear gets sucked into the the warp oh, drive. Oh, yeah. We find ourselves at the warp drive itself, which is this absolutely phenomenal set piece mm-hmm. of this, like, it's basically the puzzle box from Hellraiser made large as an entire room. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Baby Bear, the Jonathan Taylor Thomas uh, himbo, wanders in without any fucking, like, understanding of what he's up against and basically get sucked into a portal to hell yeah (laughs) fucking awesome um why didn't anybody at any point ask dr weir why he designs a spaceship to look so creepy oh i think like these guys are the generation after zoomers so they're just kind of like oh yeah they were like weird depressed freaks (laughs) like (laughs) they were all goth basketball players who could dunk yeah sure uh, it's it's best not to dwell on it too much like that was it made sense at the time to wear checkered vans uh it's mega chuggy that's (laughs) what they say in the future (laughs) um yeah, Baby Bear gets sucked in, everything goes to shit, and everyone's holed up in the event horizon, which we might as well just say is a mix between the hotel from The Shining and the spaceship from Polaris, where everyone is seeing creepy ghost stuff, but the spaceship's alive. Uh, during this, Professor Weir, or Dr. Weird goes, I guess, batshit loopy after being visited by uh, the ghost of his wife, who... Uh, yeah, no eyes. Fucking yeah. creepy as shit. <laughs> There's a fantastic Hellraiser um, homage where she's basically like standing there with like full on sockets for eyes, mm. saying, "We've I've got so much to show you." It's it, pretty. This cool. film is genuinely scary. Yeah, totally. Like it. It is like fucking frightening. And we'll we'll kind of progress as we go, but the everything basically goes to shit. Uh, everyone starts seeing hallucinations of t- of their greatest fears. Uh, Mama Bear finds uh, hallucinations of a her son who's crippled with polio back on Earth. Space polio. Um, space polio <laughs> comes about in about 2030 <laughs> right after we get over coronavirus oh, no. oh you better believe we get space polio <laughs> gladys locks that shit down <laughs> you guys are basically in hypersleep for 25 years <laughs> feels like it man <laughs> <laughs> the um uh Larry Fishburne has this uh, phenomenal kind of side story where he keeps seeing visions of this man on fire who haunts him, where he gives one of the one of my favorite speeches in all of in all of science fiction in in all of movies. So cool! I've 
I've dropped it at the start of this episode. It's it's a fucking banger. Uh, it's it's basically a crew member that he let die, and he vowed never to let a crew member die ever again. And he has the uh, nightmare of it, but now he's actually seeing him, and it's just it's such a fucking awesome monologue. So to cut a long story short, Doctor Weir has sabotaged everything, and in he's favor- gone space crazy. Yeah, this this film is like uh, probably kicks off a genre. If if Alien is proto, then this is the first proper genre of space madness, mm. like a style of film like Pandorum, uh, Sunshine, with which steals more than enough cues from this movie. Mm. Uh, Ad Astra with Brad Pitt, a couple of dude, couple of that years was back. such a letdown. I remember being so excited for that. They should have. That whole sequence where they're on the monkey space station should have been the whole movie. That- yeah, Brad Pitt <laughs> in uh, in Monkey Madness. Yeah, <laughs> write me, cut me a check, bad boy, yeah. cut me a check. Everything gonna be so basically. Uh, shit goes to fucking pot. The Lewis and Clark is destroyed. Oh man, what, that I think when they finally translate the video and it re- reveals that. Uh, you know, the spaceship went to hell. I think one of the greatest lines of this film and, and what makes the crew so relatable is that they are just dudes who are on the clock. As soon as they see that video, Lawrence Fishburne just straight away being like, okay, we're going, we're leaving. Yeah. <laughs> we're, like, we're bailing on the job. Everybody, we're going to go right now. <laughs> and when Peter Weir is just not Peter Weir, Dr. Weir is just like, um, you can't do this. This is my ship. Uh, we can't leave it behind. And he's like, oh, I'm not going to leave it behind. I'm going to take the Lewis and Clark to a safe distance. I'm going to blow the fuck out of the Event Horizon with missiles. Fuck your ship. Yeah. <laughs> Love it. It's fucking phenomenal. So Dr. Weir goes through the gateway and he comes back. He's basically Hellraiser Sam Neill. Mm. He's ripped out his eyes. He's got the phenomenal line. Yeah, where we're going, we don't need eyes. Yes. Oh, so good. He bumps off the members of the crew. Uh, Sean Pertwee gets blown to shit. Jason Isaacs gets cut up. And so apparently in- what was supposed to happen to him, that like I was reading with the... Uh, directors, quote unquote, or the apparently there was about twenty minutes that was excised from the film about his character not actually being who he was supposed to be, not being actually the doctor, uh, and is some guy terrified of being vivisected, which is why his death was, uh, you know, him getting gutted. Oh, true. Okay, because he's yeah. suspi- for someone with like Jason Isaacs's chops at this point, he's suspiciously absent in terms of like a, an arc for this film. Yeah, sp- and there's that scene where he like freaks out and holds a scalpel to someone's neck, and it's just like completely what? glossed over. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Apparently, that was like something that just got like excised completely from the film. Yeah. So. He reveals to Larry Fishburne that he fucked up the Latin translation. (laughs) Yeah, nice one, dingus. Uh, It's not actually save me. It's save yourself from hell. Uh. (laughs) So they really fucked it up. They, um, like Al mentioned before, they're able to decode the security footage of what happened on the event horizon. And unfortunately, all that footage was left on the cutting room floor. We'll get to that more in the production, mm. but it is absolutely phenomenal what you do get to see it's of so this like fucked. even now orgy like... of violent gore <laughs> with just the crew tearing and destroying each other's bodies mm. in this hellstorm, simultaneously fucking and sucking and cannibalizing each other it's (laughs) it sounds like al's 30th hey (laughs) (laughs) i was um, the pie (laughs) (laughs) so basically uh everything's gone to shit uh mama bear has i think my favorite death where she follows the manifestation of her son through the bowels of the spaceship only to drop fit like 
13 stories and be decapitated by a grill as she hits the ground. <laughs> yeah, so brutal. Uh, baby bear like hallucinates himself wandering out and decompresses himself where his yeah, eyes get sucked fuck, out of his man. head. All time. All time a fucking death. <laughs> uh, the only two people really left towards the end as uh, Larry Fishburne sacrifices himself to blow up the event horizon along with Dr. Weir are uh, Cooper and uh, Parker who um, managed to escape on the the kind of... the. It's kind of like the end of Alien where they use the, like, the bridge the of buggy. the ship as yeah. a way yeah, to escape. We get a classic Carrie style fake out where uh, it's revealed that the rescue team that come for them are just going to get stuck on the same kind of deal. Mm. And the movie ends with probably the greatest needle drop of all time <laughs> with the Prodigy's funky shit. Oh my God, that's the funky shit. Okay, so as Al kind of let on earlier, this film is edited down from something significantly larger. The original cut for the film was 130 minutes long, and this was cut down to, uh, sorry, 120 minutes long, and this was cut down significantly to the 95-minute version that we get. Apparently, the test screenings for the film were absolute nightmares. Mm. Somebody fainted. People lost their fucking mind and were just disgusted, repulsed, and terrified by the 30 minutes of footage. Mm. Uh, Some things that uh, supposedly happened in that, we get the extended sequence of what was on the videotape where Paul W. Anderson actually hired real-life amputees to uh, <laughs> to get some uh, incredible shots of them, as Al so eloquently put, fucking and sucking and cannibalizing each other. <laughs> now, the executives at Paramount, who had assumed that they were basically, as the studio that made Star Trek, were going to get scary Star Trek. <laughs> From the guy that made Mortal Kombat. They were pleasantly surprised with what they got and demanded that he make uh, the cut down to 90 minutes and an NC-17 up from what would have been an X-rated film. Uh, However, they had another caveat, which was that their big um, pony that they were betting on at the races was James Cameron's 1997 Titanic had now been bumped for reshoots. So instead of the 10 weeks that they were going to get to edit together Event Horizon, they now had four weeks to yeah. put together <laughs> what is essentially like a big budget space madness special effects film. So the film was rushed to say the least. Yeah, I mean, I was reading that didn't they like within like fucking... 15 weeks of having the script written they had the fucking movie like made or something yeah like like it was only a month of filming there's something crazy as well i watched an an interview with uh paul w anderson who on top of all of these kind of constrictions put upon him by the studio he had his own constriction where he had already signed on to put together his next film soldier with kurt russell Mm. which he considered his at the time his magnum opus and he had less than a year before shooting started on that and so event horizon had less than a year from the script being written to the actual film being released and everything being ready to go. Apparently, I was reading one of the stories that Kurt Russell watched Event Horizon on set, like the finished version of it on the set of Soldier with Paul W.S. Anderson. Apparently, Kurt Russell watched it and was like, trust me, man, give it 15 years and these people are going to fucking love this movie. Like, uh, Well, he should know. He's the king exactly. of that. Have you, have you ever read reviews of The Thing? Oh, yeah. The, people like, hated it. The month it. that came out. People despised it. Yeah, totally. So the actual footage itself that was excised is kind of considered one of the great lost films of, at, at the very least, science fiction. But at the, Sorry, at most science fiction, at the very least, 
new metal cinema <laughs> due to basically poor handling of the film by the studio the footage itself that lost 30 minutes of gore that took this up to a, an x rating has been lost completely to the sands of time uh there Apparently was they a, were like stored in a Transylvanian salt mine or something. That is so footage. funny to me. But apparently I did some reading on this and footage is actually regularly stored in a salt mine uh, by studios just because of the temperature conditions for film are perfect right. for it. Which kind of takes the fun out of the word Transylvanian salt mine, <laughs> yeah, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, there is some hope. Uh, which is that the producer for the film has uh, as recently as 2018 found a VHS copy of the original cut, uh, which has he and Paul W. Anderson are yet to have been in the same room to actually put it together and have a look at it. So hopefully, even if it's a VHS level of quality, sometime down the line, we get the go-ahead to finally see this version of the film. I think it's up there with Vincent Ward's Alien 3 or Jodorowsky's Dune for mm. lost science fiction films. But, Sean, I'm going to put it to you. What happens if it was one of those rare moments of the studio being right? <laughs> like, what happens if we do watch it and it's like, oh, fuck, this ruined Event Horizon for me? Because like, what is great about Event Horizon as well is it goes for 87 minutes. Like, it is the perfect length of a film. It's <laughs> We finally, after like 20 years, we get to see the director's cut. And it's uh, Dr. Weir being like, look, enough of this uh, medical science mumbo jumbo. Let me rap to you what I'm talking about. And we're like, oh, no. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, some complex sums and equations. <laughs> Just does a hip hop version of the plot. <laughs> Fuck yeah! Uh, apparently, for a lot of the production design as well, like Warhammer 40k was a huge influence, and it looms large on this film. Like you look at this film, like even the very concept of the warp as being this like faster than light travel, which actually takes you through dimensions of pure hell. That's straight from Warhammer 40k. Like yeah, right. On Nerd. top of that, <laughs> on top of that, there's allusions to Doom, of course, the like the warp uh, th- that was found on the planet Mars. Uh, early in, very early in the film, uh, during that shot where we're first introduced to Doctor Weir, when he um, opens up the blinds in his apartment, it's revealed he's on a space station. That noise that plays to open the blinds is the door opening sound from Doom. That was Paul oh, W. Fuck. Anderson's little little nod to his I'm influence a nerd. in the film. <laughs> yeah, motherfucker, if you read that, you would have loved it. You, you I just would've. pissed you didn't read it first. Oh, no, I'm just being Paul W. S. Anderson. Just, uh, you know, you know, like the, the nerdy directors always have to do like the, uh, I think you guys will know I'm a nerd because I put a pop culture reference into something. Like... Have the you toaster. seen my wife? I'm going to put her in nine films. <laughs> She's hot. <laughs> I was also reading that uh, I think this film, would you believe that Paul W.S. Anderson's work practices may have uh, endangered the lives of the crew and cast because of flagrant disregard for regulations? <laughs> well, let's keep in mind that Larry Fishburne was 17 on the set of Apocalypse Now, and he's working all the way up to 1997, his uh, body would have been fragile by this yeah. point. And oh my God, does he get fucking tossed around in this movie? Yeah. His poor fucking body. Yeah. But hey. I mean, on top of that, he gets to do The Matrix like two years later. Like he would have been just a bag of bones by the end of 2003, I reckon. Mm-hmm. And talking about bodies, maybe we should uh, talk about the segue and, I mean, the soundtrack. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So the soundtrack is by uh, veteran composer Michael Kamen, who, if his name doesn't immediately... Oh, it's a Kamen, baby. (laughs) If his name doesn't immediately jump out at you, his work will. 
Uh, he in the eighties was well known as a composer for like and an arranger for pop music. He put together the orchestral score for November Rain. Uh, he did, uh, the orchestral score for Here Comes the Rain Again by by Eurythmics. Uh, what probably stands out the most for me is his work on Edge of Darkness and Lethal Weapon with Eric Clapton. Where sure, not S and M, the Metallica. The arrangement for that. Oh, I can't stand that shit. It's so, <laughs> it's so dense. I think that the score for the Lethal Weapon franchise like gets looked over in terms of like setting the sound for the eighties. That like brassy Eric Clapton guitar and yeah, the saxophones yeah. and everything like that. That's quintessential 80s soundtrack for me. More so even than Miami Vice or Tangerine Dream. Mm. His score itself is I would say Fear Factory-esque. Like he does a fucking bona fide job putting together like a a grinding score in this. It sounds so like it, it doesn't sound like it's someone who would have been like 50 years old at this point putting together a new metal movie. No. No, it's 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 uh it it's uh, it look honestly, I can't really remember the soundtrack that much. All I remember is the prodigy song at the end. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think this is as good as any Al to talk about the greatest needle drop in cinema history, more so than anything that's come before, and that's the fucking drop to funky shit by The Prodigy at the end of this song. It's so fucking good. And Al, have we managed to talk about The Prodigy very much on this podcast? I don't think so. So they're really like quintessential in the new metal canon as a way for we talked about this on the new, on the DMX episode about how DMX was able to bridge the gap between uh white middle class uh frat boys with who were into rock music and like up and coming hip hop whereas the prodigy were able to do the same thing with dance music the sound on music for a jilted generation but more specifically on uh, the fat of the land is just this absolutely uncanny combination of metal and dance music. It's it still sounds fresh to this day. Would you agree, Al? I would disagree. <laughs> what? Yeah, are you I'm... fucking kidding me? Yeah, I mean, it just never was like a thing that like I was like, oh shit. Uh, for me, like. Everybody I've known who's been super into the Prodigy is 37 to 45. <laughs> it's like, I don't or know. Sean. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I just, yeah, it never did anything crazy for me. A lot of friends love the Prodigy, but sorry, man, you're on your own on this one. <laughs> you never had a moment as a kid where the the video clip to Firestarter came on and you saw Keith Flint for the first time and you were like, Yes, whatever this is, I'm about this. No. You never had that. No. Fucking hell. <laughs> I still think the track listing on Fat of the Land with Smack My Bitch Up into Breathe, into Diesel Power, into Funky Shit is the greatest four-track run on an album, hands down. I, I have got all the time in the world for The Prodigy. Funky Come on, work with me song. here, Al. <laughs> I'm working. I got Give me anything, you. anything. <laughs> um, yeah, look, no, I've. They're just a band that uh, every time someone's been like telling me how much they love Prodigy, I'm just, I don't know. I think I just missed the boat on that one. Maybe I feel like going Damn. back and getting into the Prodigy now as well. It's just kind of not, not. Not a thing I could do. <laughs> yeah, one of them's dead now. It's a bit late. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But I mean, it's kind of like if I started doing graffiti now, it'd be like, dude, you can't do that. Like, I feel like the prodigy would be like getting into them now. It's just kind of something that a 30 year old shouldn't do. You know what so I mean? So this is not a Sean getting into Slipknot at 28 kind of thing <clears throat> for you. No, no. I, I'm, I'm happy 
happy to I'm happy to miss the boat sometimes. People can have fun on the boat. I'll I'll be on shore just twiddling my thumbs. Fuck you, you little dipshit. Yeah, I, so Orbital also had something to do with the soundtrack as well. I believe they like played synthesizers on a lot of the the arrangements. Yeah, Paul W. Anderson uh, had originally pitched to have this as an Orbital soundtrack, but uh, the studio was not into it, despite the fact that they'd had Orbital tracks all over Mortal Kombat. Mm. This would be still be a few years before Orbital would be able to get a soundtrack together. It's a, it's a shame. They could have had that sweet, sweet Acid House <laughs> horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been fucking phenomenal, to be honest. Uh, but Al, enough about what we have to say. Let's find out what critics had to say at the time. So fuck critics. Kiss our whole asshole. You don't like the lyrics. You can press fast forward. But just that very minute in occurred to me. The suckers had authority. So, Sean, in a in an August 15, 1997 review, almost 24 years ago to the date. Um, Give me the headline. The headline's <coughs> the best part. Mind-bending fiend puts the warp in warp speed. It by... sounds like Leslie Nope wrote that. <laughs> yeah. Bob Blah Law's Law Blog. <laughs> <laughs> What uh, did the failing New York Times have to say? The pathetic failing New York Times said that uh, it offers p- plenty of fresh concepts for horror. It uh, does get a bit run of the mill with the sharks. And uh, Lawrence Fishburne is a strong thing. It's one of the strongest part of the film, but he's made a big mistake being in it. And... The, the final sentence is, this lemon of a movie is not about to catapult him into William Shatner's shoes as a space captain. So, Are you fucking kidding me? They Stephen go Holden. Shatner over Picard? Jesus yeah, Christ. Know, right? <laughs> not even uh, Cisco. Deep Space Nine had been on TV for like five years at this point. <laughs> I think Captain Janeway's the best captain. Oh, yeah, you would. <laughs> <laughs> Does authority have it this time? Do the Fuck authority no. have points? Fuck they no. They do not have don't. a point. <laughs> Fuck your ship. <laughs> we won't do what you tell me. Al, we've talked a bit about uh, The Thing. We've talked a bit about Event Horizon. And we've talked a bit about Nick and Nora's Infinite Playlist. Why do films get so maligned at the time but then become considered classics as as time goes on i know that um a good example is something like heaven's gate which was considered like one of the worst films of all time but is now considered like an underrated oh, masterpiece. Yeah, yeah like the fucking five hour cowboy movie yeah. i have been meaning to watch that for so long it has just been there sitting on my hard drive and i can i just need to find a day where i think i'll have to wait till i get like really sick before i can watch that movie guilt free you should just go out into any street in sydney and breathe someone's breath you guys are fucking (laughs) picking up cases like there's no tomorrow yeah yeah we really love coronavirus stuff down here (laughs) um but yeah i don't know i mean there's the, the classic miles davis story about like you know uh, a critic saying that people don't, or that he doesn't like the new album that Miles Davis released, and Miles Davis said something along the lines of, like, give it five years and you'll fucking love it. <laughs> and, yeah. and it up, you know, like, I, I, it's just, I think often, you know, more often than not, people are wrong or are approaching things from the wrong angle. I don't know. I don't know why this became i don't know why this was dead on arrival i love it i think it's such a great movie i think it's phenomenal as well but al take your time with this one i want you to pitch me what do you think is something that 10 years from now will be considered a lost classic doesn't have to have been released this year what's something recent that you know was dead on arrival that you think the critics were wrong about cloud atlas yeah yeah, I think Cloud Atlas is like... Speak on that, brother. I'm going to find mine on my letterbox. I reckon there, there have been very few movies that I've ever seen that have had like as um 
you know, like that movie just left a mark on me in a way where I really was not expecting a whole lot. And I was just amazed by how insane it was. Like just, it, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, what's the word I'm looking for? Astoundingly weird. <laughs> yeah. Like it, 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 it fits into the Southland Tales end of things where it's just like, this film is so bonkers, but it just works. All of it just works. Well, that's cool. another film that was dead on arrival that's mm. now considered a lost masterpiece. Uh, I'm going to go for something like not necessarily like not necessarily dead on arrival, but something that I think will find an audience for itself in the future would be uh, 2020, my favorite film of the year, Spree. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, Spree's great. Yeah, I think I that's know. the the first film that has properly captured streaming culture, internet culture mm. in a way that felt fresh and vital at the time. It didn't get bad reviews, but it's something that I think definitely deserved a bigger audience than it got. Totally. Totally. People will be able that film will age like something like the social network. It'll be a very interesting period piece for the current j- minutes before coronavirus world Mm. totally yeah yeah i didn't even think of that because it is before yeah like minutes before coronavirus james ferraro's soundtrack the kid from stranger things yeah uh like come on you you, this film is is leaping out if you haven't seen it it's the best film of 2020 for shawnee I highly recommend and it. And Cloud Atlas, best film of 2012 for the big man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm still catching up. <laughs> but let's talk about uh, something that we know is a definite hit, Al. Something that we need to assign a score to. We need to give this a bodies hit the floor score. The bodies hit the floor score. The bodies hit the floor score. Shawnee. I'm going to go straight out the interdimensional gate and say it. This is a five bodies hitting the floor, baby. Speak on that, brother. Give me more. It's 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 just it just does something for me, man. It ticks all of these boxes. It's so it's this great bit of sci-fi, but it's not romanticized sci-fi. It it it's just bleak. It's this great bleak little horror film. It's uh, I think, yeah, a lot of people always say The Shining or Aliens, but I really think it's kind of like Solaris as well, where it's just like, oh, this is about a spaceship that's alive and you're feeling it. I don't know. It's just cool. It's cool. I just dig it a I lot. Totally, I totally Performances think you're are right. great. <clears throat> Lawrence Fishburne is fantastic. Sam Neill is fantastic. Like, it's just, it's so cool. Like, it's just a cool movie. Look, I'm going to have to 100% agree with you. This is also getting five bodies hitting the floor for me. Uh, I think that Paul W. Anderson has committed himself to a world where he is working in other people's sandboxes. And this would be the first and the last time where he would have this kind of budget and be able to work in a sandbox entirely himself he is mm. working in full auteur mode on this. It's hard to think of a film that wears its influences on its sleeve so much as this, but still manages to be such an original yeah. and <clears throat> error-defining film. It's so uh, cool. If you're anything and it's like aged me, so well. It looks yes. so good. It, some of the special effects aren't fucking amazing. The globules that float around, <laughs> yeah, bits flubber. of debris, yeah, look a bit janky. But this film looks, the sets uh, which are from that era, we talked a bit about on our Brotherhood of the Wolf episode on the Patreon. This is that, that transitional era between classic um, special effects and the age of CGI. Mm. And so all of the sets on this, all of the miniature work, all of the practical effects, they all look phenomenal. Mm. This is this film held up so much better than I I expected it to. And I was totally. I've been saving this film for so long and I was so glad we got to do it. Yeah, and I'm so glad that we get to wear it as well. 
Hell yeah, baby. If you thought you didn't get enough of it at the start, we're going to spruik the shirts one more time <laughs> for sale on our brand new website. You're going to love it. Check it out. These will sell out. Get on it quick. Be like bye. Us. Bye, 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 <laughs> bye, bye. <laughs> bye, 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 lookheads. Because <laughs> bye, bye, bye. That's us for this episode. <laughs> Tune in next week. We got more for you, bad boy. But Al, what are we going to go out on? You know what oh, we're going to go out on. We got to go out on. Um, Have you heard that Event Horizon song that that shitty band did? It's called. What? Uh, oh, man, I'll find it for you. It's just this like garage rock. Not garage. Ah, oh, dude, I'll find it. It's like this hair metal band doing a song about Event Horizon. I've never heard of this. I was going to say funky shit, but I'm so much more curious about this. <laughs> Sounds great. Yeah. All righty. Goodbye, everybody. Bye, team. Event Horizon, take me with you. Captain Miller. Won't you take my hand? And together we will fly through the portals When the gateway comes to the other side Then rise up With a fist of you relax this journey to the trouble gates of hell way back to the rest and wish them well head back to the ship and head on to earth get our well-deserving leave back on event horizon